Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 41st episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I am your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm coming to you a day late this week because I was out until about 2 a.m. yesterday or uh, this morning watching the premiere of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Consequently, I'm very tired today, but uh, will not give away any spoilers that will ruin your enjoyment of the film. Uh, I will, however, share that I was honestly disappointed by Rian Johnson's effort here. Uh, A lot of the positive reviews say that this movie takes the franchise in a new direction, and that those who don't like it are merely haters who can't or don't want to get used to something new. I counter that if I'm going to see a Star Wars movie, I want it to be a damn Star Wars movie, not to see a new direction. So, in any case, I digress, but uh, I think gearheads will be a little disappointed by the lack of new vehicles in this film, which, honest to God, places the central plot around running out of gas. Okay, that's that's as spoilery as I'm going to get there. Uh, nevertheless, I remain a true believer in the original th- trilogy, and uh, my enthusiasm is unabated, so you'll probably notice a uh, slight theme throughout this week's show. So let's get started with some top stories. Hey, Chewie, fire up the hyperdrive! For the first time in 40 years this week, Bloomberg reported that cars and the general transportation industry have overtaken power plants as the single greatest source of atmosphere-reducing carbon emissions. Uh, This obviously provides some reason to reconsider plans to cut fuel economy standards, but also emphasizes the more immediate need for advanced battery technologies to uh, help fuel the electric vehicle revolution. Uh, Unfortunately, this week we got some bad news on the battery front uh, from a couple sides. Uh, First came a report that Tesla is causing a global shortage of cylindrical batteries because of the sheer scale of their need at the Gigafactory. And as they produce cars and their Powerwall systems... Um, Panasonic, who actually produces the batteries for the cars, uh, Tesla's demand has completely sapped Panasonic's ability to supply other buyers who are going to Samsung, LG, and a company called Murata. Uh, and the three of them still don't have the capacity to keep up with the global demand. Um, at this point, the limited supply means that some IT companies and some auto manufacturers are going to be waiting until mid-next year before their batteries ship, uh, which not only poses production problems, it means that we don't get EVs on the street anytime soon, uh, which is bad also for the environment. Uh, despite this, it was also announced this week that Panasonic is working with Toyota on prismatic and solid-state batteries, which are technologies that basically create a different cell structure that allow batteries to charge and discharge quicker, as well as hold more energy in the same size. Uh, Presumably, these won't be cylindrical in shape because it sounds like uh, old Panasonic is a little super saturated on that front. Uh, Meanwhile, Hyundai claims that by 2020, batteries will no longer be getting any cheaper due to the scarcity of supply of uh, the elements that go into them and the cost to buy the raw materials. Uh, This contradicts many reports up to this point, but it also, uh, given the constraints we know uh, companies like Panasonic obviously are going through to meet demand, it, it seems like it could be a genuine possibility. This also impacts the cost of electric vehicles because 
uh, as it's been reported heavily, the declining cost in batteries is a significant contributor to electric vehicles becoming uh, viable competitors to internal combustion cars. Uh, many companies have pointed to 2025 as the point by which uh, electric cars will be as cheap to make as gasoline vehicles. But if battery costs are no longer dropping after 2020, uh, this may prove to be false and electric vehicles may not reach that tipping point to start luring away buyers of more traditional vehicles. Um, but on a positive note this week, eight companies, including Nissan, Toyota, and Honda, all signed a memorandum of understanding uh, to build a hydrogen filling station network in Japan, um, which, I mean, doesn't help us here, but it's uh, progress for Japan. Uh, while most manufacturers are, are toiling away on battery technology, um, there remains the real risk that there simply won't be enough resources to build batteries to meet consumer demand. Fortunately, though, there is plenty of hydrogen just laying around the planet, uh, well, in the air around the planet, but uh, so the plan to build 80 stations to support as many as 40,000 hydrogen vehicles in Japan by 2020 uh, sounds like a solid way to diversify the power sources of vehicles to take maximum advantage of renewable energy and to get the uh, high-polluting gasoline and diesel cars off the road. And what we could end up with is the same sort of structure we have now with gasoline and diesel cars, uh, you know, two different fuel types, but with battery and electric or battery electric and hydrogen electric cars instead. So while while China looks to be really leading the way in terms of batteries, Japan is certainly hoping to break out with hydrogen. It's going to be really interesting to see how this market evolves over the next couple of years. That's right. And I mean, now that we've covered electric vehicles, let's quickly discuss the other area of automotive industry disruption, uh, autonomous cars. Uh, back in 2015, when, Al uh, Volvo, <laughs> when Volvo announced their Drive Me Autonomous Car Program, um, this is a pilot program, they promised to have at least 100 new Level 4 autonomous XC90s out testing with real families in Sweden by the end of this year. Well, with two weeks to go, Volvo is pushing their timeline back a bit, and by a bit I mean they're delaying the rollout by four entire years, uh, not weeks or months. Uh, this just goes to show how incredibly difficult this technology is to get right, and if Volvo, one of the most safety-conscious car companies out there, uh, isn't willing to risk its tech for another four years, you have to wonder how far along these other competitors really are and what they're risking uh, with public testing. Uh, quoted in the Automotive News, Volvo's Autonomous Driving Program Director Marcus Roltoff said, uh, On the journey, some of the questions that we thought were really difficult to answer have been answered much faster than we expected, and in some areas we are finding that there were more issues to dig into and solve than we expected. And I find that that's uh, really refreshingly transparent from Volvo. And while other companies have timelines calling for rollouts of self-driving cars on or around 220 or 2020, or in some cases much, much sooner, Tesla, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see those getting pushed back too. But even if they aren't pushed back, do consumers really want self-driving cars? A study from Mazda, which was detailed this week, found that 71% of drivers surveyed would still want to drive their cars when faced with the option of having a car do all the driving for them. And sure, that 
still means almost 30% of people want to get behind the wheel and do absolutely nothing. Uh, but those are probably the same people who already get behind the wheel and do absolutely nothing. Uh, fortunately, the study found little indication that age played a factor with young people wanting to drive just as much as, if not more than, some older folks, uh, which flies in the face of that whole, oh, millennials don't want cars bullshit that was the refrain a few years ago. Uh, the study does seem a bit self-serving for Mazda, who really have no autonomous program to speak of, uh, at least none we've seen anything from. But it does call into question the amount of money car makers are spending on technology that will, uh, as I argued in this very podcast a few months ago, be all about convenience and comfort and not safety. Here are some headlines. First up this week, being that the transportation industry has once again regained its place at the top of the world's carbon emissions production hierarchy, it's natural to think about easy places to make upgrades that would make an immediate impact. One such place is in public transportation, where only about 300 of the estimated 65,000 buses currently in use in American roads is electric. The rest are natural gas or primarily diesel, which is terrible for the environment. Uh, whereas diesel buses cost about $450,000 each, electric buses can be $300,000 more than that. While they would generate savings and maintenance and fuel costs, it doesn't quite make up for the fact that a considerable infrastructure must be installed to charge these buses. According to a report from Reuters this week, nobody really wants to be the first ones to go and say, okay, we're going all electric in this city because of both the unproven technology and the huge upfront investment. Looks like we'll just keep choking on that thick diesel smoke until the climate has had enough and fries us like a Death Star. In political news, the federal electric vehicle tax credit ended up not being repealed in the final tax bill that's going to a vote before Congress, which is great news for people who want to buy any of the three or four electric vehicles out there that are eligible for the full $7,500. Uh, at the risk of getting too political and alienating my audience, I will not provide too much analysis other than that I wonder if the Empire levied a Death Star tax on citizens of the Republic. Automotive manufacturers are no strangers to using codenames to disguise the identity of projects they're working on. Much like George Lucas used Blue Harvest as the codename for the original Star Wars film to keep everyone in suspense. Well, over at Chevrolet, it was revealed this week that when working on the engine for the new ZR1, the most powerful version of the Corvette, they used a supercharger casing stamped with the letters BAS. Uh, this wasn't necessarily to disguise what it was, but rather what car it would go into. After all, if they had stamped a big ZR1 on it, we all know what was coming, which would have spoiled the surprise. So instead, we got the ZR1 and the surprise that they stamped BAS on their motors. And what's it mean? Big ass supercharger, of course. Not incredibly creative, those Chevy guys. Uh, Mini unveiled a refreshed logo this week that takes the whole material design thing to the absolute extreme. They went from a sort of 3D metal chrome winged logo to a completely flat black and white logo with a circle and some tapered black lines coming out of it with big, bold, all caps, MINI in the middle. Uh, I think there's a difference between a clean, simple design and something that looks plain and boring, and the German design company that came up with this unfortunately landed on the latter side of that. 
Uh, plus, the all-black design comes off a bit more Darth Vader, while the old logo is a little more Captain Phasma. And just like in The Force Awakens, I think we could all use a little bit more Captain Phasma. Some of the oldest technology on the road may be in pickups, though we've started to see that change a bit with the Echo Boost engines from Ford and aluminum boxed frames. Trucks still usually set the standard for poor fuel economy, and to some extent, based on the nature of their purpose, there isn't a whole lot you can do to change that. But General Motors is still working on ways to improve efficiency in his pickups through weight reduction. Uh, announced in the automotive news this week, the next generation of Chevy trucks will offer carbon fiber pickup beds topped with a thermoplastic GM is developing with a Japanese company. It wasn't too long ago that we saw carbon fiber only really used in aerospace applications, then on supercars, then on Hondas belonging to teenagers, and now on pickup trucks. It's only a matter of time before tractor beams start to come standard issue instead of tow hitches, right? After producing the last car at a Holden factory in Australia earlier this year, General Motors has recognized the Aussies' love for rear-wheel drive sports cars and have announced the Holden Special Vehicles will be importing and converting Camaros to right-hand drive just for the Australian market. This revelation came compliments of Ford, who earlier this year introduced the current model Mustang to Australia, where it quickly became the country's best-selling sports car. Naturally, Chevy wanted a piece of that action. Uh, see, we're not so different from the Australians, but their toilets do flow backwards, and everything there is poisonous and trying to kill you, kind of like it's the world's giant sarlacc pit. Uh, one of the major problems in American sports of all kinds, uh, to pivot here a little bit, is the concept of pay-to-play. Uh, this has come up recently in soccer with the failure of the U.S. men's national team not making the World Cup finals in Russia. Some of the blame for the failure came all the way down to youth development and the fact that in other countries they have programs supported by big teams to help kids develop skills in the game to ultimately make it to the big leagues. In America, parents have to pay for their kids to play in so-called select teams to develop their skills, which means it's an opportunity not available to poorer kids, limiting the talent pool and favoring the wealthy. Well, the same thing is essentially true for racing, where kids whose parents are rich and can afford to buy them racing carts or cars are uh, the ones who ultimately make it to the big leagues like IMSA or NASCAR. Unfortunately, not everyone is rich, uh, though it seems like it's getting to be that way these days. And some people do make some really bad decisions to try to give their kids the opportunity to compete. One such person is Robert Boston of North Carolina, who started an electronics recycling program, apparently as a front for a scheme to cheat franchisees out of money, which he did quite well. Um, he wound up defrauding investors of about $25 million, about $6 million of which were diverted to pay for his son Justin's burgeoning NASCAR racing career. The Bostons were paying sponsorship costs to Kyle Busch Racing, who were giving Justin a seat in one of their cars. When the scheme came out and the money dried up, suddenly Justin wasn't good enough to warrant a chance to race. Just go, go figure. Um, what happens next? Lawsuits. So now what do you think of pay to play? <laughs> it's a trap. Oh, Akbar, you're so right. 
this week, Bugatti announced that they're recalling all 47 Chirons that they've sold worldwide for faulty seat welds that could break, which is something you absolutely don't want to have happen in a car that, if it were a spaceship, could do the Kessel Run in probably less than 12 parsecs. Just goes to show that all that money doesn't necessarily buy reliability, and that sometimes you're just better off hitching rides with scruffy-looking nerf herders. Uh, speaking of rich people, there are so freaking many of them right now, and they're all buying supercars. Uh, according to Bloomberg uh, report this week, Ferrari has been aiming to reach 9,000 total vehicle sales by 2019. But guess what? They met that target two years early and are planning to increase vehicle production next year to meet the growing demand for their vehicles. They're practically like Toyota Camrys now. Uh, in the last 10 years, the number of millionaires has grown by 35% to more than 13.6 million millionaires, while the number of billionaires has grown by 45% to some much lower amount of people. Um, in any case, all those people want extravagant ways to show off their wealth, so Ferrari is going to have to pull some double shifts to ensure they have enough prancing horses for those rich people's stables. It's kind of like when the Republic voted to hand over all the power to the Empire because everyone was so filthy rich and wealthy, except it's not like that at all because Ferrari isn't going to take over the galaxy and rule with an iron fist, right? <laughs> Ah, shit. Um, remember how a couple of months ago Volkswagen was considering selling the famed Italian motorcycle company Ducati to provide a cash infusion in the wake of the Dieselgate scandal? Well, they've sort of decided against that in the most extreme way possible. Uh, not only are they keeping Ducati, they're building the brand its very own theme park in the Emilia-Romana re region of Italy, much like the Ferrari theme park Ducati World, which I wish was a joke name, will span almost nine acres and include roller coasters, VR, riding simulators, restaurants, shops, and a showroom where visitors can throw a leg over a real Italian masterpiece. Apparently, Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi was such a huge success that they're planning a Ferrari land in Spain, and a Ferrari World Europe, right? Somewhere? Uh, so I guess as uh, autonomous technology takes driving away, we can always go to a theme park to experience what life was like when we could drive, uh, sort of like exactly what we do with Star Wars at Disney. Uh, the paint on your car is something you probably don't think about too much unless uh, you like it or there's something really wrong with it, but that's uh, sort of the point in its design. Uh, this week, we learned that Nissan has a miniature car wash that they use to test their paint's resistance to dirt, grime, and repeated cleanings. Although the video they released featured a painted scale model of a 370Z, prompting speculation that they use adorable scale models for all of their testing, it's just because that the uh, 370Z made for a more compelling video than the boring painted squares that they normally put through the machine. Uh, in that way, Nissan crushes our dreams a little bit, just like every time we're reminded that Jar Jar Binks was in Star Wars. Uh, in stupid news this week, a Florida lawmaker, Wenge Newton, which uh, sounds, a, <laughs> sounds a lot like a Star Wars name, but is actually a real person, uh, he's proposed legislation to make it a misdemeanor to leave your car running and then have it stolen. Uh, while common sense dictates that you should never leave your car with your keys in it for fear that it will be stolen, apparently some people in Florida want to make that activity actually illegal and not just dumb. 
Uh, instead of looking at this as punishing the victims of car theft, apparently Wenge thinks this is to protect juveniles from crashing cars, which they stole, which is like saying you're going to punish a Jedi for having a working lightsaber when some moron clone trooper impaled himself with it while trying to take it off a Jedi's belt. Uh, if you've had to call an Uber or Lyft during a sporting event, you've probably run into their so-called surge pricing where you get charged extra because of a scarcity of supply of drivers. It's like how parking lots can charge more when they're home games because they know they can do so and people will still use it. It's shitty, but it's business. Um, well, one Toronto Uber user really found out that there are uh, no limits to surge pricing when he was charged almost $14,400 US for a 20-minute ride across the city. Uh, and that's before the tip. Um, apparently, Uber chalked this up to some sort of glitch and has refunded the guy's money, but imagine having to explain that to your credit card company uh, that, no, you didn't mean to exceed your total spending limit with one transaction. And, I mean, that's more than Han was going to charge Luke for transport to Alderaan, and he's a smuggler. Now let's take a look at some of the new cars that came out this week. Starting out the new cars this week with the purely imaginary, a company nobody's ever heard of called Samson has just announced their new vehicle, the Switchblade, which is a three-wheeled car that is not just a car, but also a plane. Uh, picture a sleeker, reliant Robin with wings, and you basically are picturing exactly what this looks like. And you probably remember just how good the reliant Robin was to drive from that Top Gear segment, right? Yeah. Uh, so there are some performance specs and some costs thrown around, but th this thing isn't even real yet. It's a it's a rendering that they say will be built next year, which I will believe when womp rats fly out of my butt. Seriously, this even in Star Wars, the cars are not planes. Speeder bikes and pod racers are not X-Wings and TIE Fighters. I love the idea that we think we can have both, but I just don't think this will ever become a reality from any car company. So here or a long time ago, far, far away. Uh, in other unbelievable car news, another California electric vehicle startup, tell me if you've heard of that one before, has unveiled their debut model. Uh, this one's a little different because it's a semi-truck to rival Teslas. Uh, the range is similar, as is the capacity, um, the towing capacity, uh, except this vehicle, called the Thor ET1, um, has a weird name, has an equally weird look, and costs about a uh, hundred grand more than Tesla's does at the top end of uh, the spec sheet. Uh, the styling is really out there. It, it, it sort of looks like an alien you'd find in the Moss Eisley Cantina with its gaping, arched mouth grill and angry-looking headlight eyes. But if Thor is able to get their vehicles on the road any time in like the next four years, they're probably going to beat Tesla to the punch, and they use proven LG Chem batteries. So I'm willing to give Thor some airtime here in the hopes that they can pull it off and get a credible challenge out there to Elon's fantasy brand. Uh, in undoubtedly the most relevant new car news to any of my listeners, simply because it's the only new car this week that any of us can probably afford, uh, the new Volkswagen Jetta has been previewed this week, and holy shit is it boring. Uh, the real thing will be unveiled in Detroit in January, but... 
basically look at the current Jetta and squint a little bit and you'll, you'll see the new Jetta. Uh, Volkswagen has started to borrow from its corporate stablemates Porsche and Audi um, in the trend of making all their cars look the same and then barely changing them year to year. But, I mean, if it works for sales, that's fine, but when the Jetta is competing with cars like the Camry, which got much sleeker looking this year, uh, a ho-hum upgrade isn't just, just isn't going to cut it. Like, Star Wars couldn't just plug in R2-D3 and call it a day and expect fans to be happy in a new trilogy. Instead, we got BB-8 and everything we knew about droids changed. So, uh, is everything we know about the Jetta going to change? Probably not. Uh, in news about a car that actually has been built and is definitely real, um, unlike uh, several concepts we've looked at, the Ares... A Modena, Italy-based design firm has produced a concept vehicle called the Panther, uh, which is based on the Lamborghini Huracan. Uh, the car's design, however, is inspired by the De Tomaso Pantera, and the new vehicle has the same sort of wedge shape, but with modern proportions and features and flared wheel arches and even some graded vents behind the window that, are, that have that real signature 70s look. Um, the best part about this, though... Working pop-up headlights. Pedestrian safety be damned. This looks amazing. And we need these back. Uh, we don't have numbers on how many uh, Ares Panthers will be made or how much it'll be costing. Uh, but performance figures should be similar to the Lamborghini, even despite the slightly worse aerodynamics from using a 1970s type of body. Uh, but a modern car with classic styling. This thing looks awesome. And uh, it's... Uh, kind of like the automotive equivalent of The Force Awakens. You know, it's all new parts, but looks a lot like something that was really popular 40 years ago. Uh, Celine is a... Celine... Celine... I don't know how you pronounce that. Celine is a automotive company you may not have heard of uh, for a while, but they've made some pretty cool cars like the S7 and want to do so again. You'll probably recognize their name uh, most from the back of some Mustangs because they did a lot of old Ford tuning back in the day with the Mustang and the F-150, but they're striking out on their own again with the S1. It's a mid-engine turbocharged four-cylinder spitting out 450 horsepower through an old-fashioned manual transmission. Uh, the car's made out of carbon fiber and aluminum and weighs less than 3,000 pounds, meaning this car will probably be very seriously quick on its wheels. Uh, think of it like a snowspeeder. It doesn't pack much power or a big engine, but it should be quick enough and nimble enough to take down bigger competition like the AT-ATs in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, probably unlike the snowspeeders, though, the S1 is supposed to cost less than 100 grand and uh, has a good shot at production thanks to a partnership in China that is now bankrolling Saline these days. Um, Tis the season for giving, and uh, McLaren played St. Nicholas this week, gifting the automotive of the world the Senna, their brand-new track-focused hypercar named for famous racing driver Ayrton Senna, who raced for McLaren's Formula One team prior to his untimely death. Um, the car, like the driver, is ludicrously fast around a track. Uh, it's based on their 720S chassis and is powered by a 4-liter twin-turbo V8 tuned to almost 790 horsepower and a slightly less impressive 590 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, it's, it's not what I would call a super attractive car, um, but it does have a really clever window <laughs> structure where it has windows in the lower section of the doors, so you can see when you hit the apex of corners. 
um, even though it's not open wheel or open cockpit. It's sort of like uh, the Boba Fett of cars. You know, it's not much to look at, but every little thing has a clever functionality to it, making it very good at its intended purpose. Um, though we don't yet have any solid performance figures. Uh, the, fortunately, the McLaren isn't trying to kill you like maybe Boba Fett would be, but uh, the sticker shock may cause a heart attack uh, because McLaren is asking for 750,000 pounds for each of the 500 they plan to make, and it's gone. Uh, they've uh, all sold out since it was announced on Tuesday. Uh, like I said, rich people just keep getting richer, and they're hogging all the cool cars. It's just like Java said. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, for this week's call to action, I hope uh, listeners will consider their own unconscious biases. Uh, and yes, that seems like a particularly heavy topic for a car podcast, uh, but it's prompted by a story from a couple of weeks ago that kind of refuses to die. Um, a very smart man named Vahid Kazemi, who is an engineer for Waymo, Google's autonomous driving company, tweeted a very, very stupid thing. Um, he said, uh, quote, have been driving in L.A. with a rental car that doesn't have the autonomous features my own car has. Almost crashed 10 times and ran over five people in two days. Humans aren't designed to drive cars, end quote. Rather than dissecting how incredibly wrong virtually every aspect of Kazemi's tweet is from the fact that he absolutely shouldn't have a driver's license and that the car company uh, designs cars to be driven by humans and the very Chrysler minivans he himself works on have to be adapted back to being driven by machines, I will instead focus on Kazemi's unconscious bias. He tweeted this because he's a computer science PhD and has a master's in controls and robotics. Kazemi is a tech guy. He's not a car guy. And his perspective on vehicle autonomy is that it will solve a problem that he has, namely being a bad driver and not wanting to do it. Uh, we approach his comments as car guys whose perspective on vehicle autonomy is that it may take away something that we dearly care for, our ability to drive, which we think we do pretty well. And I'm sure you're all great drivers, listeners. Naturally, our reaction is not positive because his comments fail to factor in our own perspectives and come off as incredibly ignorant and inconsiderate. But so are our reactions because of our unconscious biases against the technology Kazemi is for. So this week, Take a moment and consider your gut reactions to things and think about whether your feelings are justified or just the product of your own preferences and perspectives. So this week, since we don't have any audio of the uh, McLaren Senna just yet, I figured we'd go to the second best thing here, which is the car it's based on, the McLaren 720S. So here is a lovely YouTube video of the 720S's 4-liter twin-turbo V8 with about 90 fewer horsepower than it'll have in the Senna. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, that's the wrong track. Um, okay, here's the right track, and may the force be with you. <laughs> 